Welcome to Art Waves, a monthly program about artists working in Mendocino County. I'm Marty Derlin. This episode of Art Waves features Anderson Valley vocal duo The Real Sarahs, who play new songs from their upcoming album to be released this summer. They also talk about their recording experience with guitarist Alex DeGrassi, who's co-producing and playing on the album. But first, Casper sculptor Paul Reiber discusses his work and a new exhibit opening at the Willett Center for the Arts on March 4th. Paul begins by talking about how he got interested in sculpture. I grew up outside of Washington, D.C. From a, a, a young and tender age, I was encouraged to spend as much time as I wanted in the marvelous museums, the Smithsonian, the uh, art museum. So I spent a lot of time wandering around the halls of these museums as a as a middle schooler, basically, due to the fact that my father worked for the airlines. I started traveling to Europe when I was uh, a freshman in high school. The first time with my mom and ended up in Rome, going around to all the museums and churches in Rome and Naples. So from a pretty early age, I got really interested in what what sculpture was. So to jump ahead, I moved to Mendocino County in 1981 to go to the fine woodworking program that was then part of College of the Redwoods. Uh, It is now the Kronoff School and is part of uh, Mendocino College. So I did a year of that program learning how to make furniture, fine furniture. And uh, since that time, I've been on the coast making furniture uh, till just about the turn of the century. And I slowly switched over to more or less exclusively doing sculpture. And I started carving before I went to the woodworking program. And uh, most of the furniture that I made incorporated carving. But um, I just let go of the furniture part and stuck with it carving. Give me an example of how you would make a piece of furniture where you'd first use the the um, skill saws and that kind of stuff, and then you would move to a, a point of carving. I did a lot of chairs that had heads. Had, the back of the chairs became people. So there were heads and bodies and arms and hands um, associated with those. And I actually, I've chuckled since I've been doing just sculpture, how um, it would be extremely difficult for me to do with a six foot high human figure and have, have it fit into most people's homes. Whereas people were buying six foot high chairs with a head and hands um, and they, they seemed to work in their their decor. So you've never worked with stone or any other kind of material? It's always been wood? Um, I have. I I took some stone carving classes through the Mendocino Art Center, oh, maybe 10 years ago, and did some limestone carving. But I'm I'm pretty wood. I'm I'm pretty much a wood guy. Mm-hmm. Pretty much a wood guy. Well, I noticed in the pieces that you sent me photos of that you had different kinds of wood, including nutmeg and California nutmeg, whatever difference that might be, and bay laurel and 
Maybe you could talk about the different kinds of wood you use and why. Right now, I'm uh, mostly using local California woods. The ones that I am most enjoying right now are the bay laurel wood and, um, as you said, nutmeg. And I say California nutmeg just to distinguish it from the spice-producing tree. The California nutmeg's a tall, evergreen, looks a lot like a big fir tree. Bay laurel, nutmeg, some walnut. Those are really the woods that I've been using the most. Is there a reason that you use those three primarily? Is it because they're handy to where you live? Well, it's certainly true that they're handy to where I live. And getting large dimension pieces of wood, uh, meaning timbers that are eight inches square or 10 inches square, is pretty difficult. So, I mean, I've been on this scene here for 40 years or something. So I have connections to get the kind of wood that I like. And nutmeg is kind of buttery yellow. Walnut is dark, you know, darker brown. So some of the choice has to do with what fits the mood of the piece that I want it, that I'm, that I'm carving. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, that works, works back and forth. Sometimes I have a piece of wood that I've been looking at for a while and an idea will come from looking at the piece of wood. And at other times it's, I have an idea and I'm looking around at what would I have available to, uh, where I want to take that idea. I was going to ask about that because I've heard a lot of sculptors say, you know, the stone tells me what I'm going to make out of it or the piece of wood speaks to me in terms of what will what will emerge oh yeah well that, that that's certainly true i mean both every every piece of wood has its own i mean it's just a piece of a tree and every tree is a grow was a growing thing and reflects all the impacts it experienced in its life and its environment so every little piece of tree has a lot of stored information or attitude or something i mean there's a lot there Say in contrast, working with clay, I, I never feel like there's the clay's never giving me anything back. It's just being being responsive. With the wood, it's really a dialogue. The wood, there's certain things it's not going to let me do. There's certain things it really wants me to do. I guess that's why I like wood more than stone because I have never felt that sense of this is a living thing when I'm working with stone. Stone seems like it's like clay, it's it's just it just does what I what it's supposed to do, and it doesn't have as much to teach me to talk to me the way wood does. I asked Paul about one of the pieces in the exhibit titled "Beware." Generally speaking, I get kind of a body sensation. I mean, mostly what I'm doing in my figurative sculpture is is posture. I'm doing sculptures that are, you know, a couple feet tall. So what my interest is, is being expressed through posture as much as anything else. Uh, so that beware is like, you know, hands out and, you know, go away, leave me alone. So it, it kind of started there as a, as a feeling image. And then typically I would do a rough sketch in plasticine a non-hardening clay, just to, to get a sense of 
how big a piece of wood I need to do it. I mean, I'm not doing the plasticine full size, but it tells me that the block has to be uh, twice as long as it is tall or, you know, whatever the proportions are. Um, it also helps me explore more what the sculpture is going to look like, obviously. Then in that case, I went to my wood pile and picked out that piece of nutmeg and then basically proportioned my little clay model up to fit that piece of wood that I like. And then I start carving. If I line up the work that I've done in the last five years chronologically, it's just really easy to see the impact of COVID on my work. You know, my the the images that I'm drawn to. And, and so this this show is is almost totally post post COVID, post the onset of COVID. Mm -hmm. And are are you expressing inner inner feelings? inner responses to covid um yeah i yeah i'm not i'm i'm not very overtly political in my in my art occasionally but it's more just coming from my heart and my my re, my response to the world tell me the difference between pre covid and onset of covid in terms of your sculpture I think that this series of work that I had been working on right before was um, a series called called Migrants. And it was um, figures of migrants, a little kid dragging her doll and a, and a mom kind of hunched over holding the kid. So it's not like they were very cheery images. One of the first things I did that, that spring after COVID was do a... a about a six foot pole carving of just people lifting each other up and supporting each other and comforting each other all the way up this pole. And that kind of got me on a, a track of, of wanting to look at, look at more closely faces. So I did a series of, of just four or five either working from photographs of people I didn't know or, or portraits of people that I knew or working off photographs of sculptures that I liked. So I just did this series of faces trying to explore more the style and it, from my point of view, style, how I was approaching doing the faces and then also what I want, what the emotional content of that face was. The post COVID work it seems much more internal and, and that's what my life has been like too, which is much more internal. I'm, I'm much less out in the world and much less comfortable being out in the world. So, you know, there's a bit of this in, in my work. Are all the pieces that will be in this show post-COVID, post-onset? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some possibilities. I'm still kind of trying to decide. The agony, you know, of <laughs> Trying to trying to pick a limited number of pieces and mm -hmm. have them have them work together. It's fun. Yeah, of course. That's the fun part. I mean, I would think to show it off, to make it a communication instead of a an expression that isn't returned. I guess. Right, and back to your question: Have what has my work changed since COVID? the number of 
ways that I get to show my work reduce drastically. I mean, there's there's both locally, there's a lot of shows and nationally, there are a lot of shows. And then as COVID came on, there weren't any. And for, I don't know, for me, for a couple of years, it just didn't seem like that there was much opportunity to, sh to show work. And it's coming back, fortunately, it's coming back pretty strongly. Can you make a living as a sculptor? Some months, yes. <laughs> over the course of my career, something like half my income has been from commissions. People coming to me and saying, I want you to do this and that. And the other half of my income has been from um, sales of my own work or teaching or doing repairs. And I also get asked to do just things that just seem so crazy to me. And then I get engaged in doing them and they end up, you know, influencing the next couple of things that I'm doing on my own because I'm, I'm, I get to go back and forth between fulfilling your desires and then going back and having time to work on my own things. And then somebody else comes along and wants something else that's, um, Oh, so just totally different and, you know, trying to figure out how to do that. Yeah. So I've, so I've liked that. I mean, that's, that, that's worked out well for me. Um, I'm, I've also uh, been fortunate enough to be married to a woman that has a, a steady income. So whereas mine bounces up and down from, you know, from feast to famine, she's had a nice, even steady course and, we have a big garden. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great to make any kind of living out of art, I think. I mean, I think it's a rare thing for a lot of people who who do pursue um, artistic endeavors. It's kind of chancy, no matter how talented you are or how committed, whether you can make a living out of it. Yeah, I think that's true. I feel really lucky that I've been able to piece together a steady enough income so that it, it, it works. I, I'm particularly aware of being a trained furniture person that can do uh, pretty sophisticated furniture repair. I'm not doing that anymore, but for a long time, I, I could really count on a certain amount of income repairing nice pieces of furniture. And I, I just think about the painters I know and the ceramicists I know that, that don't have that kind of, uh, you know, fallback use of their skills, you know, and, and are really dependent on sales. If, if you're a craft person, purpose and function is what it's all about. If you're going to make a chair, it's got to be, you got to be comfortable. It's got to be this, it's got to be that. Um, and because it has a purpose, but as soon as you start going, oh, I'm going to make a sculpture, then you're letting go of that. I mean, it does have a purpose, but it's not quite the same as you can sit on it. And what would be a typical day for you as a sculptor? How do you go about your work? Huh, interesting question. This is in transition because I'm trying to retire. Typically, I my my studio shops on on my property in Casper, so you know, fifty feet from my house or something. So typically, I'm 
um, out here by eight in the morning and um, uh, do whatever business computer I'm, I'm on a couple of boards. So there's all that kind of stuff that can either eat up the whole morning or eat up a couple hours. And then I carve until lunchtime. And then if it's a nice day, I work in my garden for a couple hours and then by three or four, I'm back in my studio until seven. That's kind of the routine right now. Seven days a week. I'm out here pretty much every day. And this is in your retirement that you're doing seven days a week, Paul? Well, yeah, it's, you know, that's like, if you have a garden, you don't think about, you, you just are, you got to do what you got to do to have a garden. And I love carving. Carving is not particularly what I'm trying to retire from. I'm trying to retire from the boards that I'm on and uh, having to say yes when people ask me to do projects that maybe I don't really want to do. So it's more just taking another layer of control deciding, okay, I, I don't need to do everything people ask me to do, which is a hard lesson. Well, anything else you want to say about this show or about carving in general or sculpture as an art form or um, uh, any thoughts? Yeah, get out and see the show. Get out and see every see all the art you possibly can. There's some amazing art practitioners in our county and I wish that there were more venues where you could go see them, but they're out there. Go, go support your local artists. Totally. I so agree with that. There are so many talented people working and doing so much great work in Mendocino County. You perhaps become used to it or inured or something, but it's really, it's special to have this many practicing uh, really um, accomplished, interesting artists all over this county. Yeah, it's true. It's yeah. True. And you're one of them. So thank you. That was Paul Reiber, Casper-based sculptor. His work will be on exhibit at the Willett Center for the Arts from March 4th through the 26th. Sarah Ryan and Sarah Larkin are the real Sarahs. Together as a musical duo for the past 12 years, they're known for their heartfelt original songs and inventive harmonies. Last week, they came by the KZYX studios in Philo to talk about their past two years, marked by difficult and life-changing experiences, and by the friendship and generosity of their fans and neighbors. They also play new songs that will appear on their upcoming album, co-produced by guitarist Alex DeGrassi. So we've got the real Sarahs here in the real production room at KZYX. So welcome, as always, to KZYX, ladies. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you. We're always happy to come in. And you'll be opening for Molly O'Brien and Rich Moore on Saturday the 4th at the Space Theater in Ukiah, benefit for the KZYX Building Fund. And it's I'm just excited about this concert because I feel like it's going to be a celebration of the female voice. And it's just really exciting to me to... Uh, have all of you performing on behalf of the station. So thank you so much for 
for doing this. Yeah, we're really Our looking pleasure. forward to it too. And and thank you for illustrating that. Uh, it was so rich um, with women expressing music. I think often women are underrepresented and we are just really excited to be supporting the station, supporting the building fund um, and getting to share the bill with Molly and Rich. It's going to yeah. be really, really fun. So we're going to talk about everything here in this extended interview about about your lives recently and about the new album that you're recording and mixing and getting ready to release. And then you're going to be playing some music too. So thank you. Let's talk a bit about the album that's coming up that you've been recording. Well, you know, it's been a, a very exciting last few years with COVID and other big life events. And uh, during that time, you know, all of our ability to tour was shut down. So um, we started concentrating on something we could work on from home and started developing uh, some of our songs that were newly written or that had been put on a shelf and figuring out how to do that with the help of our dear friend Alex Degrassi, who um, we have known for some years here, and he's a local legend. He kind of has been helping us, too, and bringing his immense talents and ideas to our pot of gold. <laughs> we're excited to share. We have had incredible support from the community, both near and far. We had a really uh, successful fundraising campaign. So many local people supported that to help us make this possible. Oh, yeah. um, mm. So we're really grateful to that. Everybody in the listener community who's supported the album, we can't wait to share it with you. And it's been really fun working with Alex to um, develop our songs. It'll be primarily our original songs that are yet unrecorded um, with a few songs by other artists that we really respect. And it's going to be a really fun body of work that we expect to start releasing singles soon. We're just about at the end of the finishing touches on recording. We're about to send it off to a really great mix engineer in Nashville to mix and then master the album. So we hope to have some singles dropping in the coming months with a full mm -hmm. album releasing uh, in the summertime. Where have you recorded it primarily? Well, we've seen the inside of a lot of studios <laughs> in the last year. Um, right here in Mendocino on the coast, uh, Peter Temple Studio mm -hmm. out there in Albion was Great our spot. first stop. That was where we did all of our bass and drums and uh, just the, the bones of the album, so to speak. Yep, and we worked at um, Skyline Studio in Oakland. We worked at Studio E in Sebastopol, where we did the vocals. And then we worked on a couple of home studio to catch um, some of our guest artists, like AJ Lee. We traveled to Santa Cruz to catch her mandolin and vocal uh, contributions. And then also in San Francisco, uh, the home studio of Dan Lebowitz, also known as Lebo, from ALO and Grateful Dead and Jam Communities, immensely talented. So mm -hmm. we've definitely been making the rounds. <laughs> Wow. How long is this in process? We've been working on it for about a year and a half, I'd okay. say. Well, that's... Actually, well, we were talking about it before I was hurt. So it's we've really been working on it for about almost two and a half years, like the conception. But the actual recording process has been about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. I know a lot has happened. You got hurt, Sarah. Yep. And you, Sarah, had your house burned down. Yes, we've, we've <laughs> so. seen a lot of 
hard times, but also having this album during that time has really kind of kept a positive thread through it all, but it's been a lot. (laughs) Yeah. You know, my house, yeah, burned down just before COVID hit and I'm all rebuilt and my business, my little preschool is back up and running and then, you know... Sarah was in her accident. She recently had another surgery. I'll let you I'll let you tell him. Yeah, I had a, a revision surgery to fix my not yet healed leg bone in November. So I've been healing from that and I I sort of said no gigs, I'm not working from November to March, but as it's turned out, we've done a few things and you know, it's I'm still recovering from that, but we, I've started performing. We've started performing. We played at the Sonoma Juvenile Hall for incarcerated youth last weekend oh, um, wow. in conjunction with the Bread and Roses organization, and that was really rewarding. That's something we plan to move more towards. We've been talking about it a lot, singing for incarcerated people specifically, But using music as medicine has been something that we really believe in and have wanted to move more fully towards. And um, it was kind of one of the promises we made to all of our friends and fans who helped us out with this album fundraiser that we just finished up. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that was our first time. And I can say that it was... Yeah, I <laughs> uh, it was uh, eye-opening and heart-opening. Well, it, as as a mother of a teenager, especially, I had a lot of stress, um, kind of anxiety about going into it, and it was just there was a lot of love in that room. Mm-hmm. I can't really explain. I thought that they would be more hard and. Um, difficult to reach but they're just wanting love and music and it was really a powerful experience how old were the kids there was two groups the first group was uh like 18 to 24 i think they said and just men and then the second group was more like 15 to 18 with some women Mm -hmm. i think even girls as as young as 13 oh um, yeah can be there yeah um, there was a lar- it was a larger group, but uh, one of the highlights for me was at the end, you know, we kind of opened it up for questions. And at the very end, as they were sort of filing out, this young boy or young man raised his hand and I said, oh, do you have a question? And he said, are you going to come back again? And it was just so touching, you know, to be able to make the connection. And, you know, we really appreciate Bread and Roses. They're such a great organization. And their aim is the same as what our goal is through the music is medicine initiative that you know Sarah mentioned we've been wanting to start for a while is to bring music to the people who need it most i don't know maybe partially initiated by our own life circumstances and the sort of struggles that we've been through and how much we've been supported and how much music has gotten us through we really want to dedicate more of our time to bringing music to underserved populations who can benefit from you know what we have to offer Mm -hmm. and it feels really rewarding what song did you sing first i'm just curious (laughs) we did two shows um last saturday the first show was we played across the great divide which is a kate wolf song that we are actually going to be covering it will be on the new album the second group because there were some young women there we played hard to be a woman oh cool yeah 
But Sarah also played this song, which I mentioned because we want to play it for you today, that she wrote about her troubled teenager. And it was, it was, it's a very tender, vulnerable song. I, honestly, when I was singing it, I had a hard time. Like, I started to tear up and I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> Just sing the song, Sarah. They need this. But a couple of the kids came up after and said it brought them to tears. So mm. that was really touching. Oh, I just boy. wanted to be all of their moms, you know. I hope we do go back. We've just spoke with Marion again about singing at the the women's prison, right? Well, so. yeah, we are one of our a big goal of ours is to sing for incarcerated women out here. Mm-hmm. But also, um, there's a a center I can't remember what it's called in Santa Rosa um, for autistic young people. And so I think we've just um, scheduled a show to perform down there in Mar at the end of March. So we're trying to continue that work in addition to everything else we're doing and really make sure we're making time to integrate that. Well, do you want to do a tune now? Well, it might be a good time for me to show you that tune that I was just talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's called You and Me, and it's going to be on the album. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
one day soon you'll be free to make your own life you hold the key we may not always agree but i have faith that in time you will see that you will try and you will stumble and you will cry and i'll be there i will be that Sarah I wrote that uh, a few years ago actually um, it's just been kind of hard for me to share it I've been going through a hard time with my my teenager you know and it's not easy being a teen in general but with COVID and everything it's been really isolating for them and and also my child's gender non-conforming which is comes with a host of other challenges in terms of just living in the world that we live in. So I wanted to, even though I'm a cisgendered straight person, I just wanted to give them something, some sort of reassurance, I guess. Mm -hmm. That was kind of my, where that song came out of. Well, it's beautiful. Thank you. Started on a boat in British Columbia on tour a few years ago. So it kind of had a had a wave like feel to it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> floating does. on the boat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. So you were playing. That's a baritone ukulele. This or? is a baritone ukulele, and it was made by David Dart. He's a luthier out here um, in the valley in Navarro. Um, this is actually my second ukulele that I've had from him. I'm very lucky that way. Um, but but my first one burned in the fire. Um, and so this one, I actually got to choose all the wood and make very you know, make special. some creative choices. And yes. we're getting acquainted. So, yeah. Yeah, it's gorgeous. He's been doing it for a long time. And he's yes. a really talented music instrument maker. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about your journey, Sarah Larkin. When was your accident? John and I were in yeah, a high-speed car crash in October 2020. And uh, much of my body was broken, and I spent three months away from home in the hospital in the nursing home. And it was a really trying time, you know, marked by beautiful people working in the medical system and wonderful friends and community that supported me um, so much with visits and food and cards and letters and donations. And someone gave me a car because my car was ruined. And... So it's been a really weird mix of um, blessings and tragedy. Yeah, and um, sounds like life. I can second that. Yeah, and <laughs> and um, you know Sarah Ryan has really been incredibly, has really stuck with me through it, and Jen as well. I mean, you know I, the physical recovery has been really challenging, and I was uh, you know getting back to a pretty good uh, state of mobility before this 
surgery in November because my femur bone uh, just never healed properly. So, um, yeah, I had to, I went and saw, sought a second opinion at UCSF and, and the doctor was like, your bone isn't healing. It's not going to, you need a bone graft. Mm. So, um, yeah, I endured a really long, like seven and a half hour surgery in the beginning of November and spent a week at the hospital down there. And again, um, people have come out of the woodwork. It's almost been, I'm, I'm not a mother, but it's almost been like my birthing experience. Like Sarah organized a mm-hmm. meal train. We had people bringing us food like the whole month of November. So John could really focus on caring for me. And it's it's been a slog. The mobility part has been challenging and painful, but I'm getting more independent, I'm driving, I'm um, doing a lot of PT and rehabilitation. Again, the medical staff has been really incredible. A lot of self-advocacy as well. And um, I've been able to get start to get out in the garden a little bit. We've been starting to perform a little bit, mm-hmm. um, being able to stand up and performing. And, and through it all, like making music is just so healing. If I'm in a lot of pain and I go to do a gig and I feel like there's no way that I can get on stage. Somehow I get up there and do it, and I end up feeling better at the end. Like, it's just really uplifting. I um, I love sharing music. I've been getting back into songwriting a bit, and that's also been a really good way to channel um, just all the trauma and the revelations that have come through this experience. And um, we, there's a song on the album, um, Lichen on a Limb, that I wrote in April of last year while still in a wheelchair. And it's, I think it's a really moving and vulnerable song. And I'm, I'm excited to put that out there. Mm. So I feel optimistic. And I just am reminding myself to go slow, to to rest a lot, mm. that my body ask is... Ask for help. Ask for help. Um, <laughs> Always hard. <laughs> yeah, my body's building bone. It's it's not a simple process. I, mm. I My mind is so ready to go but my body is just has its own timetable. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to respect that and just feel really grateful that I'm even alive and that I live in such a special place where I have so much love and support around me and that I get to keep making music. And I think it's helped to really, really focus in for me that I just have to make music, that this is my thing, that this is my destiny, my calling in life, wherever it leads me. And that I've just really totally dedicated myself to that in so many ways and sort of taken out a lot of the clutter, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm grateful for the lessons I've learned through it as much as it's been really hard. And also it helps me really build compassion for other people. Yeah. You know, I go to the PT office and I see all kinds of people struggling or I'm in San Francisco and I see people in wheelchairs on these crazy hills or walking with a crutch. And I just like I get it more Mm -hmm. you know I wonder what their stories are and what they're what they're going through and uh, I think it's helping me to to look on the other side a little bit more Mm -hmm. to be more compassionate to understand that everybody we're all like struggling like you said it's life right we're all struggling in our own ways can't always see it but (laughs) yeah and and somehow the gift of music and you know finding Sarah as a musical partner and being able to to do this harmony thing that we do and creating this music together just feels like a good antidote to the struggles of life or a good way to respond to that and bringing our gifts, it, it just it kind of keeps coming back to that. Mm-hmm. Bringing our gifts, like my song, It Might Grow, that we were talking about earlier. It's just about what are you bringing in this lifetime? You know, we're here to bring music. It feels really clear. And 
And our audiences keep telling us that they love it as much as it's hard to be in the music industry. It's hard to make a living. It's hard to be a woman in the music industry. I just feel like the work we're doing is really important and it sort of just keeps us going even when it's really hard. Mm. So, I mean, this only deepens it, I guess, all the tragedy and challenges. You really find out what's important in Mm -hmm. those moments. So, yeah. Well, you know, um, I just have to give props to you and everybody here at the radio station because being able to have a relationship with a local radio station that is listener supported where the DJs are our friends and neighbors. I Sarah and I have both, you know, been a part of being DJs and doing, you know, supporting the pledge drives as well and the DJs here really love and appreciate what we do and have really supported our music and got help to get it out in the world and promote our events and that's invaluable as well. So we're excited to be able to team up um, with KZYX again on this uh, on this show on March 4th. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun and sort of like a coming out for us again, you know, after my rest over the winter and um, a uh, celebration. get to celebrate celebration. the station and, the you know, the changes at the station and also um, this new album that we have coming out, yes. which we're so excited about. You're essentially producing it yourselves. Is that right? Yeah. 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 We're co-producing it with Alex. Uh-huh. And he's certainly offered so much guidance and has so much experience Such in the industry yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. a wealth of experience. Yeah. It's been great. And just as an instrumentalist as well, he's really helped us. I notice when I try to record something that all the flaws come to the fore you guys are really professionals, but how, I mean, does that happen to you? Oh, God. I, it's a struggle, yeah. especially when we're doing vocals. I keep reminding myself that it's not about perfection. It's about being real. Like, we call ourselves the real Sarah for a reason. But it's hard to live in an Instagram perfect world. I mean, we're women in our 40s, you know. It's interesting to to fight that inner critic and to push through it. Um, I think I've really have a hard time in the studio personally but usually somewhere down the road I I when it's done and we've walked away from it and it's been out for a year I'll sit down and I'm just really grow to appreciate what we've created and I'm like yeah that was really awesome well it helps to get the distance from it Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah sometimes the validation comes instantly but oftentimes it comes later sort of in hindsight we just know we have to push through it and use all the tools in our toolbox to get there and just have the the resolve to know that what we're doing is important and it matters and we're doing it for a reason and just stick with it um, even when it's difficult. And the fact that we know each other so well, it's like we've been doing this together for 12, 12 years, 12 years, and that's a long time. Longer yeah. than marriages. And We're music married. <laughs> there there has been uh, therapy involved, um, <laughs> as there should be in any healthy relationship. Indeed. Um, but having known, knowing each other so well helps us to know how to kind of get each other out of the holes that we find ourselves in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're literally in each other's heads. Yeah. Musically and in the headphones and we're very much in each other's heads. It's and it's it, it's something we're doing together. So we just do it as a team and it was also helpful to have Alex's support. I personally didn't play a note on a stringed instrument in the entire album and that really took a lot of pressure off me. I was really focusing on 
the songs, the writing, the singing performance and the sort of the co-producing role and listening to artists that we had on the album like Nina Gerber or Lebo and being in the recording sessions with other artists and like letting the ideas come to say, oh, can you try this line or whatever it is? Um, so that, you know, it's working with Alex has has made it easier in some ways. He also mm -hmm. has amazing connections and has been, you know, showing the work throughout the process to people that he knows in L.A. and elsewhere and, you know, subtly supporting it in that way, um, which I think will be really beneficial. I think that in some ways, while he really loves working with us and he's sort of making a transition musically, really, he also really loves and appreciates what we do and in large part really has wanted to help us to make a name for ourselves, to get some more press and recognition so that we can do whatever it is we want to do. I think our goals vary all the time, but to help us sort of break out and be heard and recognized in a wider audience. And I'm super grateful to him for that. I found at your uh, performance at the Botanical Gardens in Fort Bragg last summer, I guess it was. I I so enjoyed it. And I thought you really cast a spell there. I was <laughs> transfixed and carried somewhere. And I, I think that's one of the gifts that you have. Oh, thank you. It's nice to hear that other people can get inside a song as we have lived inside them. Yeah, and it's something kind of I think about when I'm writing songs is that like the song has a specific meaning to me when I write it, but you never know what other people are going to get out of it and it can people can use it and put it towards their own lives and it just kind of becomes a life of its own once it comes out of you <laughs> it comes mm -hmm. from a very specific place usually inside of me but then when it's out it's like universal mm -hmm. i don't know there's something magical about music in general i think and i think we also write you know often from a place of deep vulnerability or realism about our own experiences and struggles. And I think it can be really raw, and I think people really relate to that personally. And I hope for it to be soothing to someone else who's going through a hard experience to feel that they're not alone or someone else understands how they feel. You know, I like to cuddle up with a cup of tea and a moody Nick Drake album when I'm having a bad day, you know? like. And we've heard time and time again that people really relate and really feel like the songs were written for them. And in some ways, that's the biggest reward or payment or compliment that we can get is that Absolutely. people really get it. What's the difference for you when you um, are singing just as a duo and then when you're doing something like in the studio with all these other musicians and instrumentation and ways that the song is going to be presented? It's really fun to have somebody else paint, you know, the landscape that we can then sing through. Mm -hmm. um, that's really rewarding. And it's fun to attend to all those little details that we may not be able to achieve on our own. But there's also a lot more thought and meticulousness and planning and what are we going to do. Yeah, and you have to stick to the structure of the song because you have several folks going with you. And whereas when we're on our own, maybe singing around a campfire, we might go off on a tangent together, which is really fun, too, but mm -hmm. a totally different thing. 
<laughs> yeah. And at this um, upcoming concert um, for the KZYX Benefit, um, we are booked to play as a duo. There might be a chance that we're going to bring a special guest to that show. So that's all we're going to say about that. Okay. Um, but it'll be more of a, you know, it'll be more of a stripped down type of performance uh-huh. um, versus what will be coming up on the album, which will right. be more like all our albums are kind of more filled out and being able to reach more of their full potential mm-hmm. and using all the crayons in the box to to decorate them, which is really, really fun and mm-hmm. a fun thing to just archive and and give away mm-hmm. um, and let sort of live on, live on as our legacy, I guess. Yeah, it's fun to have the other people. But I will say that I really appreciate the duo, too. There's something complete about the duo in itself mm-hmm. as well. How do you decide how you're going to do the harmonies and when, when you're going to come in? Is it just kind of a, an easy collaboration, or do you do you agonize over it, or is, is it an argument? Sometimes <laughs> I do. No. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I have a um, – well, I have a background of having uh, – singing in a vocal jazz uh, a cappella ensemble. So I have a lot of harmony – I have a lot of ideas and preferences about harmony, but basically one of us will bring our song and the other will just play with it. And then we bring it to the other and, or sometimes we do it together in the room, but you know, sometimes we're just recording on, on our phone. Like, what do you think about this? Like make some that, you know, and we work that out that way. But um, then, you know, we'll, we'll sit down and, do it more slowly trying to nail it out and then we'll be like oh that note maybe try this like i don't know it's a negotiation for sure but it's not a fight no (laughs) (laughs) it's a mix you know um you know we're we both grew up as harmony singers we both (laughs) have that in our blood whatever we're singing if we're in the car driving to a gig we're We're harmonizing with everything that we're listening to in the car so if Sarah's got a song or if I'm playing something new before I'm done, like playing it for her, she's already sort of had her part coming in on the choruses or whatever. So I think we really easily jump to um, a harmony expression. And then there's a little bit of dialing it in to make sure we're really expressing the notes that especially the songwriter wants to hear and feel and sort of that are sort of evocative for the feeling of the song. Yeah, and different chords, different harmonies, different intervals evoke different emotions, so there's some thought that goes into it on that end as well. And mm-hmm. Oh, like, I want to have this more of an eerie feeling, so maybe, like, try a minor. You know, that kind of thing. I wonder your thoughts about your musical growth and maybe how working together has fostered that. I think at the time that we met, we both still were singers and would sing around the campfire or sing with the radio or in the shower or whatever, but neither of us was necessarily putting music in the forefront. And once we met and sang together, it was like a little light switch went on or like a little explosion. Something just really clicked and it was really alluring and it made us want to do it more. And so it's helped both of us bring music back into focus and then sharing each other's songs, encouraging each other to write, getting out and performing, which has largely been due to our audiences, like calling us up and saying, hey, come play for this benefit, or please come to play at our festival or whatever, has helped 
to really encourage us to do it. And I think that we've developed a lot subsequently together, but also individually, you know, like I've started playing the mandolin and we've really focused on writing songs and have collaborated with all these amazing people and are, are constantly sort of honing new skills. So I think it's been really encouraging to work together. Yeah, and like Sarah was saying earlier, we do have a very sisterly relationship. And so that helps in many ways, like to encourage us in terms of having encouragement, in terms of feeling competitive, you know, in a little level, it's like, oh, well, she's writing lots of songs. I better write a song. Like, I don't know. My, my musical journey has always been touch and go throughout my life. I've had times in my life where there's lots of music and then times where, you know, it's an ebb and flow type of thing. And I think that since Sarah and I have met, like she said, we have kind of encouraged, forced uh, <laughs> all the things because it's ever changing each other to continue to put music as as a forefront. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the forefront. And I have a real drive for business and I'm always networking and always working on it. And so if I keep booking gigs and promoting us, we have to like keep ourselves <laughs> together enough to get up and keep doing the gigs. So I thank my mother for um, helping me learn that business, music business acumen, which has really been a driving force in some ways because I just kind of can't shut that part of my brain down. I just really want to get us out there. And I don't have that part in my brain, so <laughs> I'm very grateful for that quality. Well, let's close with some more music. Okay, we're going to play a tune called Blown Away. This will be on the upcoming album. And I'm going to play on Sarah's father's guild guitar, which fortunately survived the house fire. I grabbed it off the wall on the way out the door. One, two. I'm blown away. I'm blown away. I've been tossed and torn and had to leave it for another day. I am old, my roots run deep. Now I think it's time to lay me down to sleep. I have seen so many treasures, tasted many pleasures. Nothing was so special, it was meant for me to keep. I'll follow my instincts and I'll stay on my feet. One day I'll be blown away and leap. Sometimes you win. Sometimes you win. Sometimes you lose. Sometimes you lose. Sometimes you end up on a path that you didn't choose. Sometimes it's black. Sometimes it's gray. Sometimes you turn, but you can't seem to find your way. But forward is the way out. Better save your voice, because no one can hear you shout. You must make the choice. Turn into the wind and open up your mind. Because what you seek, you may surely find. Ba-da-da-da. Ba-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
let it keep you warm because there is a challenge you are far from home turn into the mighty winds hold strong against their form envision that your branches brave the storm i'm blown away i'm blown away i'm blown away I've been tossed and torn and I do leave it for another day. I am old, my roots run deep. Now I think it's time to lay me down to sleep. I have seen so many treasures, tasted many pleasures. Nothing was so special, it was meant for me to keep. I'll follow my instincts and I'll stay on my feet. One day I'll be blown away and leap. That was The Real Sarah's, recorded last Friday in the KZYX Philo Studios. They'll be appearing at Space Theater on Saturday, March 4th at 7 p.m. with Molly O'Brien and Rich Moore in a benefit for the KZYX Building Fund. Thanks to Eddie Hale for production assistance and support. For Art Waves, I'm Marty Durlin. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.